one of the things I was hoping to achieve with these podcasts is to um, really give you some value, 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 <laughs> give you some value, just some insights into uh, at least how I do photography. And if you like my work, um, then hopefully that's useful if you can take things from what I do. So one of the things I thought I would do for this particular podcast is to really pulled together a couple of things or a couple of threads that I've spoken about. One is the visual storyteller, which is something that I use when I'm teaching photography. I think that's um, a very useful approach to photography. And the other is to talk about primarily wildlife and how you apply the idea of the visual storyteller to wildlife, but also to expand that to more general photography. And I guess here I'm really looking at travel photography primarily, as um, I'm assuming that most people who listen to, uh, so most of you who are listening, um, are perhaps using these tips to apply to travel. But if not, please let me know. I'm always happy to hear from you and hear where I might be able to offer something of more value. So let's go back to the visual storyteller idea. And very simply, it's to have the mental approach when you're looking through the viewfinder or looking at your the screen on the back of your camera to just ask what's the story what is it that you are trying to convey to anybody who looks at that image or the final image at points in the future so having that mindset the idea is that you really look at First of all, what's going on in the viewfinder? You look at every aspect of it, not just the subject, but what is the background? How are you using the background? Is it in focus? Is it out of focus? Um, how are you using the lighting? How are you positioning your subject as much as you can? Now, uh, one of the reasons for doing this podcast is that when you're shooting wildlife, sometimes wildlife animals uh, are just kind of sitting there and that's fine. You've got time to pick and choose how you shoot them. You can shoot them um, over a series of shots. But other times, such as, for example, photographing a humpback whale breaching, you've just got to be on it really fast. And if you even think about what you're doing, often you've already missed the shot because it happens within one or two seconds. So you can appreciate that at the beginning of taking that shot, you're probably not even in the right position. You may be moving the camera to get the animal even in the centre of the frame, hopefully you've been able to pre-focus so you've not got to worry about focusing because even that, the time it takes to focus on the animal can result in a lost shot, in a missed shot, or all you get is a splash. So there are different disciplines you need to apply depending on the kind of subject that you're, or the kind of scenario that you're photographing. Again, in um, also in the wildlife world, if it's um, a a predator hunting down a prey animal. It might be um, a cheetah, for example, running down something like an impala. That's really fast. I mean, by the time you're tracking and photographing, you're just trying to capture as many images as you can. And hopefully you've got the camera set up somewhere in the right region. So things like your depth of field um, might not be ideal because you might have given yourself an aperture setting where you've got a bigger depth of field than perhaps you would ideally like. So the background is more in focus or more of the images in focus than you'd ideally like. And 
obviously that's the capture stage. So if you've done my training, you'll know I'll talk about four stages of photography. So capture is one of them. Uh, Post-processing is another, and that's something I'll also come back to in a moment. So let's step back again. Now I'm going to dip into the planning stage because I believe that it's good to start with the end in mind. So as far as you can, when you're about to go and photograph something, think about the kind of photographs you would like to come away with. Now, with wildlife, it's definitely not always easy. You definitely won't always get there because you're relying on the animal to perhaps demonstrate the kind of behavior that you want to photograph. And obviously with wild with any animal, really, they will do what they want to do. So you'll either being be in a situation where they do what you would like them to do or, or they won't and you can't really do much about that the only way to really counter that is just to go out again and again and again and take um, many many photographs and eventually hopefully you will get what you're hoping to get or you might get really lucky <laughs> you might go out first time and it and you get exactly the shot that you're hoping for um, I will say I was just looking at a photograph somebody had shared in um, I think it was on Facebook it was a I think a young lady from the description and I can't remember now and she'd got a, a great picture of a humpback breaching right next to a small boat the problem was it wasn't very sharp um, it wasn't particularly well focused so although she was pleased with the shot with my <laughs> professional photographer's hat on I would I would have definitely um, encouraged her in in the starting with the end in mind to set a very fast shutter speed and really give herself um, a good depth of field so that she had the best possible chance of producing an image that's sharp and in focus. And once you've got those two things, um, you can recrop and do all those kind of things later. So I'll talk about that later. However, starting with the end in mind, um, think about, so if you are traveling somewhere, and I'm going to talk about wildlife initially think about the kind of stories you want to tell what is it you want to convey are you trying to convey the animal's natural habitat because that's one kind of shot that might be a wide shot it might have the animal maybe sitting um, in some bushes or you might have them grazing and you might want to bring in a lot more of the background so I'm thinking of pictures I've taken in the Ngorogoro uh, crater in uh, Tanzania, where those shots, um, so I've got pictures of zebra grazing, for example, and I've deliberately picked up the back of the crater wall, which is far off in the distance. If you've ever been there, it's a very large area, but you can see the walls of the crater. So it gives you um, some context for where those zebra might be grazing because you can see the the top of the wall or the, the wall in the background of the shot and then the sky above it. So that's something to think about. Or if it's on a plane, for example, if you're also in Tanzania in the Serengeti, that's going to be completely different. You might have a lot of grassland with a lot of animals in the distance, but, um, you know, not much. Maybe you're trying to convey how open the landscape is. So that might include a wide shot with a lot of sky, maybe have the... Um, subject low down in the bottom third or even the bottom quarter of the um, the photograph. So how you choose to convey space and context is very, it's something to think about before you take the shot and maybe do a bit of research and have a look at 
shots that you really like, the kind of thing you'd like to produce and deconstruct them. Look at the kind of composition the photographers used. How are they using light? How are they using color? Um, have they got a lot of foreground? Have they got a lot of background? Are they tending to use a landscape format? Have they gone for a portrait format with an, a huge amount of sky? Maybe they're subject very low down in the bottom. So there are many, many ways you can set up a shot. But it's good to really deconstruct. Maybe have three or four things. You don't want to have, you know, you don't want a checklist of 20 things that you need to cover when you're setting up the shot yourself because you'll, you're not going to, well, I certainly wouldn't remember 20 things. But I'd go for two, maybe three things that just stand out for you in how that shot has been composed so that you can very easily um, do the same thing yourself when you're getting ready for your shot. Because often when you're, in these places it might be you only ever go there once and you also want to drink in the experience of being in that place of seeing the animals so taking the photographs absolutely you want to be focused on doing that but don't have a massive checklist don't have the idea of deconstructing the photograph is that you get a, a lot of hints that support you in creating the final image that you want to produce they're not there to detract from that if you've got a huge long checklist of things to run through you're going to be spending all your time on the checklist and the chances are you're not going to you're going to miss the shot that you really want so keep it very simple but do think about what the end result is and then plan <clears throat> and do research accordingly so deconstruct them if you there, there might be books there might be um even TV, I mean, BBC shows are particularly good in their wildlife. So anything that's particularly grabbed you, just if you can grab a still of um, maybe it's something on, on one of their programs and look at how, what have they done? What is it about that shot that you love? Is it how close they've got to the animal? Do you need to um, have the right equipment? Obviously, you'll need the right equipment, but do you need to get in close? If necessary, do you need to do a tight crop to get the final result? So there are lots of things you can do, but start with the end in mind. Have an idea of maybe even somewhere between three and five kind of different shots you'd like to get. And then for each of those shots, deconstruct them to two or three things, key elements of those shots, or even one key element. It doesn't really matter, but it's just be a bit more specific about what it is you want to uh, capture, how you need to set that shot up to get the result. So that's habitat is one. Behaviour is another one, obviously. And I've already spoken about whales breaching. I've spoken about um, predators capturing prey. And a lot of this is luck, but some of it is timing. Now, some things do tend to happen at a particular time of day. And obviously, if you're trying to catch an animal against the sunset or a sunrise, clearly they are very, they're, they're very strongly linked to a particular time of day. But other things might be less obvious initially. So for example, with predators hunting, they do happen during the day, but quite often you'll find they're more likely to happen at dawn and dusk, those periods. Sometimes they happen at night and that can be problematic from a photography point of view, obviously, um, because it's very difficult to capture fast action at night because you just don't, obviously the light just isn't there. And even if you're pushing up your ISO to compensate, it means you get a very grainy look on the uh, images so and, and again that might be part of the styles so that might be a benefit but generally it's not a good time to um, try and capture the animals and obviously you wouldn't be using flash or any kind of lighting because then you're directly affecting 
how those animals behave and you're, you're not you're no longer shooting a natural um, kind of um, picture um, and the chances are you won't capture anything at all because you've disturbed all of the animals and they won't do their normal behaviors so dawn and dusk can be good again you might be dealing with the issue of running with a high ISO so that will limit some aspects of um, what you do with the final image however it can be part of the style as well so it's just something to be aware of now another thing if you are looking at predators one of the the tips there is if you can just find the prey animals and if you can sp spend time sat there waiting now you might not see anything at all but I do know of some, uh, one guide in particular, actually, I, I know he will take people to where there are prey animals, maybe just sit there, possibly for an hour or two, to see if anything happens. And this is the nature of, if you excuse the pun, of doing this kind of photography, because um, you need to position yourself where you can capture the action if it happens. But obviously, if is the key word there. So... The thing is to do a bit of research, use local guides as well. If you are off somewhere that you don't know and you, you're you're being escorted or guided and use their expertise on when things are likely to happen. And also, um, obviously, prey uh, predators are going to go where the prey is. You know, that's kind of a given. So there's not much point sitting where there are no prey animals because there's, the predators got no reason to go there. If you want to, another thing to do is find water holes because obviously um, uh, most animals will go there to drink at one part of the day or another. Um, in Botswana, when I was there, we, we did that, but there were no animals at all. And the reason was simply that there had been a lot of rain in the, the previous um, couple of weeks before I was there. So the animals that would normally go to the water hole to drink just had water everywhere. So they um, split up into... Uh, much smaller groups and was spread over a large area. So this again is where a bit of luck can come into it if you're, from my perspective, I was a bit unlucky there because it became sort of sheer luck to run into animals. Sometimes we'd run into them on the main road. Uh, there was a group of elephants came out of the trees right next to the main highway uh, that I was on traveling up towards the, uh, the border with Zimbabwe. So Again, you might get lucky, you might not. There are things that you're, are in your control and things that are not. But the thing is to do a bit of um, homework and try and stack the odds in your favour as much as possible. And finally, um, so looking at the kind of shot you want to take, what's the story? So I've spoken about habitat, I've spoken about behaviour. Another one is just getting a bit arty. Uh, I like portraits of animals. And generally, that's one shot I've always try and get. And if you do have time to set up the portrait, if an animal's just sitting there, and I'm here, I'm looking at a picture of a lion that I took, I was able to try different crops and just um, sometimes they'll yawn or they'll do other things. And um, you can grab those shots and then you've got to, afterwards, you can look through them. You've got a, a choice of different um, looks, activities that you can choose from and um, work with them but is there a particular look now i like quite like um the sort of arty shots where you can see half of the face and there was one situation in south africa where there was an elephant uh just grazing uh, behind some bushes and i realized the way it was moving where we were positioned that as it was grazing on this bush <clears throat> 
excuse me, half of its face roughly would be hidden by the bush. So I just kind of, let, I had to lean out of the vehicle a little bit just to get the shot, but I deliberately went for that shot and I was quite pleased with it. So this again is where having a little checklist in the back of your head of the kind of shots you want to take means that when you're there, you can be aware of maybe that shot beginning beginning to happen. So you can just quickly grab it. And, and then obviously the other thing is it's just opportunistic. Um, with, with wildlife, you don't know what they're going to do. You'll get lucky sometimes, other times you won't see anything. And you just need to be ready to grab a photograph quickly. So that may be a case of setting yourself up with a a higher shutter speed than you normally would go for. It might be using a, a, a deeper depth of field, as I've mentioned before with this um, this humpback whale breach that I mentioned. That just sets you up so that you've got a better chance of capturing something that happens quickly and you don't need to reset the camera. Even set up, maybe even switch to manual focus and just, if, if you think something is going to happen in a particular zone, just set up for that. On, on one occasion in Zimbabwe, we came around the corner and there was an impala a group of them and, and they were there and then they all ran but they actually ran towards us and leapt into um over this hedge that was on one side of the this track we were on this sandy track so it was impossible to focus on an individual animal because they're running towards me quite fast and leaping so all i did was set my focal point roughly where they would start to jump had a far shutter speed a deeper depth of field and here you've got to understand how depth of field works as well which excuse me, what will actually be in focus and set the camera. I had an EOS 7, I was using my EOS 7D, which is not a full frame camera, but it does have quite a fast burst rate and it will run at a fast burst rate for an extended period. My 5DS on full, and I always use the full resolution of the the image, always shoot in RAW, Um, but the 5DS will run out of speed quite quickly. Um, but the 7 is great. So I just sat, sat there running this fast burst rate and I just held the shutter button down. And what came out of that was I had a lot of pictures that weren't particularly good, but I had one or two that I really liked because it just captured the animal leaping off the ground. And so, you know, this is where you also need to know your camera and you need to know how to very quickly set up for a particular type of shot. So I wasn't thinking about it, I just did it because in that moment I had to kind of assess the best way of getting any kind of result and then just set the camera accordingly. So practice is really, really important and I I definitely emphasise that. Okay, so I've spoken about the capturing part of things. So talking about going back to what's the story and also the planning aspects of starting with the end of mind, the end in mind, Capturing on the photograph will give you something, but the final image, I always post-process. Now, that might be as simple as straightening a horizon, or I might want to shift the animal in the frame, or I might want to use a different crop. If I'm putting it on Instagram, I might want to just crop it to a square crop on part of the image and post that. Or I might want to do uh, more of a letterbox type shot. If I'm doing um, a landscape, sometimes they look much better when you do a a thin letterbox type uh, crop if you've got the resolution on the image to uh, to do that and of course there are packages you can use on um, the uh, 
the image to increase the, the resolution of the image. It's how you produce, um, or how I produce images for, um, for printing. I, I run them through another package. So there are things you can do, but this comes into the post-processing stage. And here you can look at things like your cropping. You can crop in very tightly on an animal's face, even if you couldn't zoom in tight enough. And this is why I shoot maximum resolution on my images on the camera, because that gives me the option to zoom in very tightly on the animal's face. Maybe even just get on the eyes. Might be one shot and do a, a letterbox type um, um, crop just to get a particular look. So there are lots of things you can do. You can vary the contrast. You can switch to black and white. I always shoot in color, but you, obviously you can um, correct for contrast. You can correct for color. You might want um, to emphasize, you might want to saturate the colors. That might be something that you particularly like or that you want in your shot. You might want to go completely black and white. You might want to have a hint of color there. So there are many, many ways you can work on an image to produce a certain result once you've got that capture. So obviously capturing the animal doing whatever it's doing is, is critical because without that you've got nothing. But once you've got it, you've then got a lot of choice in how you use that image and maybe make it more dramatic or highlight a particular aspect of what's going on because that then tells the story that you want to tell. Now, the final thing I'll finish with is just um, not animals so much, but thinking of um, perhaps more general travel photography. So here I'm thinking about sort of views or um, a particular icon. So it might be the Opera House in Sydney, for example. So one thing I'll do is look at other photographs other people have taken. There might be some that I particularly like. Uh, I mean, one example of Sydney is that there is a way to shoot the Opera House through the Sydney Harbour Bridge. So basically you have the Harbour Bridge, the arch of the Harbour Bridge and the upper part of the photograph and underneath that is the Opera House. And the way you do that is you go to a place called Luna Park and you shoot from the entrance of Luna Park and that gives you that shot. So the thing to do is if, if there are particular images you like of a place, the, the thing to do is to work out where they were shot from and then put yourself there and then you can reproduce that image. So that's one thing I always do. In the, the old days, I would look at postcards of um, particular places and work out where um, the shots that I'd like to have been taken from and then I could go and reproduce that shot. I might change how I frame things, but it gives me a starting point. Uh, these days, obviously, there's an awful lot of stuff on the the internet, you might even find views on, I think it's Google Maps people post or TripAdvisor. Anyway, there are places where people can post their own images. And then you can, again, if you see something you like, just work out where they were taken and perhaps the time of day they were taken and, um, you know, anything else you might need to think about um, there. I mean, maybe even time of year, because when you're going to a place, time of year will obviously um, have an impact on, on what you can see. So, Without going too into that, too much into that, that's another thing just on the planning. And, and as I say, start with the end in mind. What's the outcome you'd ideally like to get and then work out the best ways of doing that. So there you go. That That's um, just some thoughts, really, I, I thought I'd share with you on how you apply the visual storyteller technique 
to particularly wildlife photographs, but equally to anything else. So again, you know, I've spoken about travel just now, but um, it could be um, anything else that you um, want to shoot. Just approach what you're doing in that way. Think about the final image that you want to shoot, and then how do you deconstruct it? You know, what are the key elements of that shot? If you're going somewhere, what would be maybe up to five different shots you would like to get? So, you know, go back and do a little bit of planning, but deconstruct so that you end up with some very specific things that you can apply when you're when you're taking the shot. Uh, and it, um, it's particularly important that when you're taking the shot, you don't have too many things to think about, but you are set up to do the key things. So I'm going to stop there. I hope that's been useful. If you've um, got any feedback, please let me know. Um, you can always reach me at graham at ge.photography. So graham is G-R-A-H-A-M at ge.photography. And um, I will, you know, always happy to share what I can to help you get the results that um, you like. And obviously there's the online training available as well. So um, um, that's available online. You can always um, contact me if you um, are having any difficulties finding that. Okay, that's it for now. Have a great day and enjoy your photography. Bye now. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the um, the platform I use for all of my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, you'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is some information available through my website and um, also on the, uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcasts and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now. 